0: Welcome everyone to episode 33 of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thank you for joining myself, Lawrence, and DC for today's episode. Uh, DY will be joining us in the new year uh, for the first episode of 2023. And a bit of a unique episode, we're kind of in that transitionary period between Christmas and New Year's, and thought we'd just start off with a bit of a recap of our festive season and kind of like what what 2022 has had for us, like how we feel about the year, a bit of a yearly wrap-up and also kind of discussing what plans we have for 2023 as well. I know Lawrence has quite a quiet year ahead on the cards.
1: Definitely, you're going to be the, the least busy in uh, this coming year, right?
2: Yeah, I might even just not do the pod next year. <laughs> I'll have nothing to add. It's just going to be, oh, same thing each week, ate food, trained, nothing exciting. Um, but no uh christmas was wonderful mate it was pretty low-key like as i think i would have said earlier like before on the podcast my family was from south africa initially so we don't have a ton of family here it's just the immediate family mom dad my sister and myself so our christmas day is pretty you know chilled out we go to church in the morning come home do presents have lunch and then that's kind of it and then you know go over to gemma's in the afternoon and then Gemma and I, we went down to the Gold Coast. So her granddad has a unit in Palm Beach. And we just went there for a few days, um, just two nights there, which was actually really nice. It was just good to slow down a little bit. We didn't really have a whole lot planned. We just sort of, you know, you know, had some nice sleep-ins, went to the beach, got some some lunch at a few nice places and just took it easy, really. Watched a lot of cricket, ate a lot of food. Um, well, watching the cricket was, was not really Gemma's cup of tea, but <laughs> she allowed me to do so um so that no, was good mate feeling very refreshed actually i've got a couple of days work coming up now before we then get into i guess the new year long weekend and then after that it'll be all pretty much back to normal so i must say i do look forward to getting back to the usual routine but as i was telling you off, off air like the last week or so at work i had you know far and away my busiest week ever as a physio just in terms of patient load like it was absolute mania in at the clinic um so it was nice to have a few days actually slow down after having a week like that was good and i guess uh you did a bit of a
0: podcast on the christmas week yourself about how people manage eating and how people kind of just need to relax a little bit and how did how did you fare in that regard like obviously you've recently wrapped up a diet i kind of know that you wouldn't really have any drama
2: yourself but yeah like and i must say I, I sort of thought to myself finishing up a diet so close to christmas like is that potentially gonna at least open the door for a little bit more food focus but i think given how short diet was and like i know it's kind of the goal of a mini cut is to resensitize your appetite but i didn't realize really notice mine changing a whole lot like even when i finished i was kind of like eh, like i'm not super hungry at meals still like I was almost disappointed in the sense that my appetite didn't feel a whole lot better. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was really cruisy over Christmas to be honest, like didn't, I haven't tracked for the last like few days, like whilst I was down the Gold Coast, I didn't track either. I just sort of had, and I think even on Christmas day, like I only had one helping of everything just because, you know, the Mm. appetite's not through the roof. I just tried to make sure to have, you know, a decent amount of the meat and get enough protein for the day. Did you have (laughs) any trifle? I did have it some trifle, mate. I do like nice. some trifle. What a wonderful dessert, yeah. Um, yeah, so on, and even the last couple of days, like took my scale down purely so I could weigh out my whey protein. So what I would do is just have five protein feedings throughout the day and the the feedings where I wasn't able to get sufficient protein or where we, maybe I would have normally eaten if I was at home, but obviously you don't go out for, four square meals throughout a day like most normal people don't do that i was just having a way shake so over the last few days probably had like two or three way shakes a day some meals in there um and just made sure i've sort of eaten enough and just kind of eating to satiety because at the moment that's kind of keeping me where i need to be um and because i was only really eating like three meals throughout the day if they were a little bit more calorie dense i wasn't too mad about that because they're kind of making up for where that fourth meal would slot in anyway so no pretty good like still felt reasonably um you know leanish and tightish whilst we we're on holiday and um honestly i think after a, a week of just getting back to normal we're probably going to be right where we left off so all in all pretty successful and yeah definitely probably a lot more controlled than it's been in previous years coming off a diet not feeling like i needed to overdo it around the christmas period with food or anything like that i think as you mature as a competitor you learn that you know, in a year, these things are going to roll back around, and they're going mm. to probably taste quite similar. And there's really no need to to lose your head in those situations.
1: It's probably more also to do with the fact that you know that you have a condense prep start coming up, you know, relatively mm. soon as well. So for sure, you probably can't afford to to really go off the rails and go ham on the ham, so to speak.
2: Mm, exactly. <laughs> well, however, though, as I just learned mere minutes ago from Jack's podcast, I would have needed to eat quite a large amount of ham in order to gain substantial body fat so mm. i did not eat the entire ham jack you'll you'll know i think it was I five kilos or something yeah, yeah something like that i certainly didn't eat 12 kilos of cherries either so <laughs> no just
1: imagine the uh, the pumps the day after with that, oh. much, that much ham as well right that's so yeah.
2: annoyed. <laughs> instant heart attack but awesome pump <laughs> how oh. was your
0: christmas dc
1: yeah, it was great. It was very low key. Uh, both Nicole and I just went to Nicole's family's place for the day. Um, and it was just a, a bit of a Christmas, Christmas lunch and very similar to Lawrence's, um, Christmas where I, I just, I didn't really eat, eat a whole lot. Uh, I had, you know, one serving of, of, of a couple of things. And in fact, when, when we came back home, Nicole's mom gave us like so much leftovers, which is pretty much still sitting in the fridge and, uh, yeah but i mean at this point in time i'm just as busy so i haven't really taken any time off from from coaching or anything like that and and uh this holiday period is is almost it's like similar to any other week for me really um nicole and i have a little bit of time off this weekend we're going up to sunshine coast and we're going to spend about three nights up there just as a bit of a getaway you know switch the phone off and just kind of be present and i'm looking forward to training up in caloundra because i absolutely love that gym it's always um Deserted whenever mm. I've gone, and it has such cool Atlantis equipment. So very the excited. The world gym to... there, or a different? The different world gym, one. yeah. Yeah, yeah the that's world good. Gym, yeah. So very excited to to train there this weekend, and I might even push in an extra session just based on the fact that I wanna I wanna use the gym while it's there. Uh, but yeah, not a whole lot else to report in on. Hey, it's um it's been mm. like any other week really, busy.
0: Yeah, same here to me. Like I'm working as per usual and. I mean, the only thing that was different this year about Christmas uh, for me and Tierra was just that we hosted Christmas, which is our first time and kind of had Tierra's family that were in Australia here and all of, or the majority of my family. So quite a few people around, I think like almost 30 people ended up showing up. Um, and yeah, kind of a, a lot of preparation involved there in regards to food and and renting the appropriate plates and Cutlery, kind of more, more stuff involved than I initially thought. But hey, that's what the season of giving is about.
1: How much, uh, how much washing up did you have to do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> A lot. Fortunately, uh, you could give back the the rented stuff, just rinsed. I didn't have to chuck all that through the dishwasher yeah, but right. I
1: know people that have had had parties like that, and they'll just swear by buying like plastic plates, mm. and plastic cutlery. <laughs> so, yeah. so they can throw it all out at the end and not have to worry about washing anything.
0: Mm. But yeah. As I said, I was deloading. So back in the gym now, which, which was great. I did have a bit of a niggle last week, which I actually saw Lawrence for. And uh, fortunately, that's pretty much cleared up. And um, I think it must have been Lawrence's manual therapy over telehealth.
2: Yeah. I was just doing a bit of Reiki in there through the uh, the cam. Well, I nearly got a little bit more than I bargained for on the uh, on the old telehealth. <laughs> Given okay. the, um. should we say the, the proximity of of jack's injury to quite an intimate area mm. we'll keep that between you and me yeah yeah as always patient confidentiality it's of just, course
1: it's just that, like this bit of skin between like the hamstring <laughs> and the glute like just... <laughs>
2: <clears throat> naturally i i asked him to unrobe i, I needed a thorough assessment
1: mm.
0: <laughs> yeah considering this will be our final episode of 2022 i think it would be a good opportunity to just kind of discuss the year that it has been and maybe mention some of the things that we have on the agenda for 2023.
2: So Lawrence, I'll let you kick this off again. Yeah. Well, um, I suppose I did a similar sort of wrap up on my own podcast a few weeks ago. So definitely go listen to that for a more in-depth analysis of the year. But overall, I think it's been very good. Like I've been quite pleased with, with how the training's been. I definitely think that it's, it's difficult to, you know, hedge how much progress you've made in that second year of such a long off season, because you know, things do start to, to slow down a bit more. Like you've been in, in a surplus for so long. So you are maybe not noticing things move at such an alarming rate as you, you do when you exit a prep, for example. And you look back on that first year since finishing prep and you go, oh, wow, I've come so far. Like things are going to slow down and, and that's to be expected. But I certainly think it's been a good year. I think just in terms of overall balance, I've been very happy with how this year has worked out because I was obviously starting full-time work for the first time you're always going to be a bit worried you know like am I going to get time for all the stuff that I usually do and obviously me being quite a busy person like taking on the podcast this year wanting to keep up my training starting work like it was going to be a bit of an adjustment but I'm really happy with how the you know work-life balance is at the moment and I definitely think that that will help next year because obviously next year is going to be a prep year which is very exciting and I think I've pretty much got all the dates now of when when all the competitions are that I, I want to compete in. So it's looking like I should hopefully be able to do all five that I initially planned on, and it's going to be huge. Yeah, it's obviously going to be an expensive year. We know competing is is not a cheap thing to do, but you know, at the end of the day, like I don't think either any of us have ever regretted a single cent that we've spent on bodybuilding or, you know, show fees, travel to get to shows, all that stuff. It's it's worth so much to us. So I'm, I'm really, really excited. Like even Jack and I were talking the other day about, you know, those little doubts that you have of, you know, have you actually even done enough? Like it's really funny how we get in our own heads with this stuff, but I think I'm very confident that I'm going to be much improved in, in a lot of shots in all shots, but definitely, more in in others than some and yeah I'm certainly motivated to to do my absolute best next year to bring a really good package and and of course to win you know as many shows as I can and and hopefully um take it as far as I can in in ICN and WMBF as well so it's gonna be a good year mate I'm, I'm very excited and I'm also <clears throat> equally excited to share the journey um on here and, and on my own podcast as well like in the past the OG General Muscle followers might remember the, the prep chronicles, which was me talking on my story for 10 minutes on a Sunday when I was getting my steps in. But at least, you know, this year or this time around, I'll have a more concrete platform to actually share, you know, the contest prep journey and and be able to let people have a bit of a, a look into what things are really like. So I'm really pumped. It's going to be a good year, mate.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think you certainly are going to be the busiest from a bodybuilding standpoint out of us three or the other three hosts. Um, Can't wait to see you undertake that. And I mean, I I reflect on that photo that we took um, back in 2020 uh, 2020 at Macrovat, if you remember that. Mm. Mm. yeah. I reckon I was
2: maybe, maybe, what do you reckon? Seven, eight weeks out, something like that? Yeah. Because I was lean, but I wasn't like shredded, shredded yet.
0: Mm. Yeah, just some very significant growth from you since mm. then.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's funny because... It, it really speaks to how like powerful your own genetic makeup is because there's even certain body parts that have been in no way prioritized this year that also look a lot better. And mm. it's just a reminder to people like, don't feel like you're missing out by prioritizing something else. Like my back and, and hamstrings obviously been a big focus of this year. And there has not been one block where I've thought, okay, we're going to smash the quads or the delts, for example, but if I look at my front shots, I, I see that both of those are, have improved as well. So, you know, play to your strengths in a sense that if you only need, you know, eight sets of quads or, or six sets of delts to to get progress done for the week, like don't feel like you need to be smashing them as well. Like focus on the stuff that needs to be focused on. And those other muscle groups are just going to keep coming along because, you know, that's, that's how they were a strong point on your physique to begin with. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm.
1: Didn't you rate your genetics as like an eight or a nine <laughs> out of 10? No, a like- 10 a 10 yeah No, i read it 11 10. right 11 out of 10 yeah. no
2: yeah 10 for my genetics 11 for my looks and then 12 out of 10 in terms of how humble i am like personality and your work, yeah. work ethic as well yeah exactly exactly
1: yeah gotcha nice man, <laughs> 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 nice,
2: man. <laughs> oh, but yeah no all things considered it's going to be an exciting year and yeah it's going to be good hopefully um you boys are able to be as many at as many of the shows as possible and backstage and all that good stuff so but yes that's enough about me what about you guys in terms of um obviously not from a competing standpoint unless one of you two are gonna you know do the old switcheroo just look and lean on the podcast i'm like hmm what's going on here but what about competitors and stuff like you know people that you bring into the stage yeah dc i'll let you go first
1: yeah so recapping on the year uh i mean this year has really been my, my first I guess year of an off season, right? Because I competed in at the end of season B twenty twenty one, and I believe it's been a very very productive year for me, not only in terms of growth of myself within within the off season, but also, you know, merging with um with Brandon BK Conditioning, and that's that's definitely accelerated my my coaching potential. Uh, so it's been a just a fantastic year in in total for business and for you know personal growth in terms of training as well. Uh, I, I would say that you know most competitors post show probably do struggle with with reestablishing that balance between you know finding your groove in respect to being a bodybuilder, but then also having the ability to be a little bit more flexible and social uh, in in nature as well. So you know I think even even myself, something that I struggled with in my in my first sort of year, particularly the first half of the year, kind of reestablishing. Normality into you know social arrangements and eating out and things like that and kind of finding your comfort back in that again. But I mean, I reflect on where I'm at right now and I'm you know as as normal DC as as, as ever, right? So uh, it's yeah, it's been a fantastic year. Absolutely, I'm very excited for for what's to come uh, across both season A and and season B. And really, the focus for me is just to continue riding the wave in terms of you know my training. Uh, it's you know, like anyone, it's so habitual at this point, having trained for for so long that, you know, often when when you're when you're asking me like, "How's my training going for the week?" I'm like, "How is it going for this week?" Just because it it gets done irrespectively, and I put mm. my all into it, so yeah, I don't know anything different, right? Um, but I am very excited from a from a coaching perspective, and and to sort of wear more of the coach's hat as opposed to you know, I still wear the athlete hat, but definitely, you know, focusing on coaching a hell of a lot over the course of this upcoming year which um, I'm very excited for. So yeah, no doubt it's going to be a very busy year, but i um, very excited for what's to come.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I feel like my has been sort of similar to you since I competed in season A of 2021. So this has sort of been my first full year of off-season since then. And... Yeah, very, very, very productive from a training and a physique standpoint, probably my most productive year of, of growth ever from a bodybuilding standpoint, um, maybe aside from when I first started lifting, but maybe arguably even, even better than that. Um, so in 2023, I'm just hoping that I can at least replicate that obviously like naturally muscle growth does slow down at some point, but I'm hoping that, um, 2023 will be similar to 22 in that respect. And um, if I can replicate the same amount of development in the gym that I've had this year, then I'll be, I'll be quite happy leading into my prep for, for 24 season B. I think this year was also very productive from a business standpoint as well. Like having kind of founded the Bodybuilding Dietitians in, in 2019, like midway through, we kind of hit COVID straight away in 2020, which was a quite a, quite a big hurdle from a business standpoint. And therefore like last year, of got that momentum rolling again, especially with Tierra and I prepping. And then heading into this year, it was like uh full guns blazing and um it's been it's been great. So yeah, 2023 like continuing to to build upon TBD as always. And on that note I've got some a good amount of competitors, particularly for season B. I've already got at least five, a few men's physique or males at this point in time, but mainly about th- about three men's physique and two bodybuilders, uh, which will be good. So can't wait to um, prep them and have a have a good mix for
2: TBD. Because Tiara will have quite a few females as well for season B. I expect them to look soft as butter on show day. <laughs> my good friend Jack. We'll wait and see. Uh, I'm gonna have to start paying Jack each week as well to try and you know influence that that decision it's gonna be expensive year indeed that'll be a hefty check yeah yeah between that and bribing the judges geez
1: <laughs> lawrence is just gonna be pulling the old like So, how's uh how's your men's bodybuilders looking for uh for season b they they're doing all right are they all right yeah, yeah. The prep timeline so far maybe just a little <laughs> bit behind time or what yeah
2: <laughs> you're just gonna to start to see me getting very erratic on the podcast i just mm. want to talk about jack's clients like for the entire episode So we may as well get into some questions. Actually,
0: actually, like, I guess, what do we have on the cards for the podcast in 2023? I would say fairly similar to what we've been doing the second half of this year, just continuing to have a good time, um, get on some more guests, of course, and uh, maybe we'll see some merch sometime in the first half of 2023 as well.
1: Mm, yeah, and I think this is also just a great opportunity to obviously thank everyone who supported the podcast, you know through the the past, I mean, what six six months we're we coming up to roughly. Um, and just the the feedback that we've gotten has been phenomenal. You know, even uh, people coming up to us at shows and just giving giving praise for the podcast and how they listen to it, and it's happened. Been been great to allow them to you know get through their steps while they're prepping and and has uh, been educational as well and obviously we uh we talk a lot of shit as well but um sometimes that's nice in terms of just not having this you know very heavy intensive educated podcast when really you might just be listening in for something a little bit more simplistic at times so. No, it's been, it's been fantastic and I'm, I'm uh, really excited for, for the podcast for this up and coming year because we're not quite at a year yet. So we've definitely got you know even more growth within our first year. So yes, I'm mm-hmm. excited.
0: Yeah, so I, we might as well head into some questions. And this one I actually forgot to write down, but it's actually a good one to start with, especially since we're heading into New Year's. It says, being judged for not drinking alcohol, how to deal with it? Drink or- alcohol. <laughs> no i'm I'm just kidding
2: yeah (laughs) easy door shut yeah no i think this is probably quite a common one given the i'm assuming the average listener if they're you know competitor or very serious about their health and physique related goals they probably do consume alcohol a little bit well less often than than the average person i could probably speak for all of us in that sense and look i think it's one of those things where I almost it's almost like those questions where it's like oh how do you deal with like friends who judge you or like make fun of you for going to the gym or sticking to your macros it's kind of like well if that's what's happening within your circle or that friendship group is that really the kind of people that you want to be hanging around like I know that if there were people who I was friends with who were you know giving me a hard time for not wanting to drink or not eating the food that they were eating like you know you pretty quickly move away from those people because it's just not super fun like getting heckled at a social event if you're not doing what people perceive that you should be doing based on like social norms so i would probably just say that if people are you know giving you a hard time for for not drinking alcohol you know if if that's really the people you want to hang around with because i know that it's not really the people i would want to hang around with if they were you know judging me based on my own personal choices and you know i think that probably even comes back to a, a bigger discussion that's probably for minds brighter than ours of you know the whole idea of you know alcohol in a social setting like if you feel that you need that in order to have a good time like there's probably bigger things at play than you know just whether or not that person is the right friend for you so yeah, like I'm personally not completely against it. Like, you know, Gemma and I had a few few alcoholic beverages on the, week, um, on the weekend whilst we're sort of down the coast, like have a couple of drinks each and that sort of thing. And I certainly don't think it's massively detrimental from a, a physique standpoint, as long as you're doing it in moderation. But if it's something you're not comfortable with, then you have people in your life that are consistently doing that. You know, maybe just sort of reframe whether or not those are a true friends that you want to hang around with.
1: Mm, I guess people are, are generally uh, misunderstanding of perhaps like the goals that you have, have in place, particularly if, if, if they're not people who have similar goals, right? At the end of the day, um, I think our goals are somewhat extreme when it comes to, you know, competing and getting down to just essential levels of body fat and, you know, spending so much time in an improvement slash, you know, growth phase where we're controlling for certain variables like calories and, and, and you know, macros, et cetera. And that's just not a norm, right? Within a social setting. So no doubt you're going to get people who who you'll come across who uh, don't understand the goals that you have in place. And I think it probably just comes down to really communicating your reasons for it at the end of the day. Uh, And I think most people are pretty accepting, right? I mean, if you put that guard up and you're like, look, I I, I don't want to drink because I'm just not interested or I don't enjoy the taste. Like I'm still having a fantastic time. I don't really need it. Like I think most people would be like, oh, okay, cool. And then sort of move on from it, right? I mean, you might get some people to you, and, and at that point, you can either tell them to get fucked, or or you could, you know, just just move on from it. I guess, but mm. it's one of those things where, you know, I don't think a drink or two is, is really going to be over that much, you know, in terms of a detriment, uh, given that you are in an off season. Like if you're a contest prep competitor, I mean, I I I'd, I'd probably abstain from from drinking alcohol. Uh, it's not really going to be advantageous when it comes to your your prep. But, um, you know, a drink or two won't hurt, won't hurt. But for those individuals that just don't enjoy it, like you just don't have it and you communicate to the reasons as to why, why you're not you're not interested. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think communication is key, as you said. And especially if you just genuinely don't like alcohol, like even if I didn't bodybuild, I don't think I'd drink alcohol. It's just never really been something that's interested me at all, really. As, as Lauren said as well, like understandably, sometimes you're in a circumstance where, they might not be that good of friends. Like they might just be a circumstantial friends. Like maybe you More are at acquaintance school. Acquaintance, yeah, it's a better word. Maybe you are at uni with them or you're at a party with a friend of a friend, etc. cetera. Um, and I think it's sometimes, I'm pretty blunt as a person, which most people can gather. I I'll usually just be fairly blunt with people <laughs> and just, yeah, tell them I'm not drinking and they'll get the picture quite quickly. And I think sometimes um it's it might be useful to be honest and blunt um without of course offending people because then sometimes people can can then um egg you up even more mm. Mm.
1: or you just definitely walk around with a, a a glass of um of water and they're like oh what are you drinking <laughs> You're like, oh soda water like what do you think like, oh cool man like coke coke no sugar oh it's got you know Bundaberg in it or something <laughs> mm.
2: yeah and, and that's the thing like a lot of people like they don't actually care if you're drinking. Like a lot of people, if you ask them, how much will your night be improved or worsened based on whether or not I consume alcohol? You know, one, it might be, you know, they have this perception that perhaps you're a little bit more fun or you're a bit more, you know, relaxed or a bit looser when you're on, you know, on the alcohol, or perhaps it's more to justify their own actions. I think that's what it is a lot of the time that they want, Everyone to be drinking so that then they feel okay with, you know, drinking in a surplus or maybe having more than they should because other people are doing it as well. And look, everyone's sort of entitled to what they want to do, but it certainly shouldn't be something where you ever put yourself in a position where you feel uncomfortable because I just don't think that's really being fair to yourself, especially if it's for someone who is, you know, like you said, an acquaintance at best, like someone who really has no bearing on your life. And I think if you want to be a bodybuilder, <clears throat> without getting too like, you know, philosophical, like you're going to need to get used to a couple weird looks here and there and people yeah. not understanding what you're doing. Like to a certain extent, I think as a bodybuilder, you have to be okay with just not caring what people think because we do stuff that is weird and that raises eyebrows and that people don't get it. So if you want to be in this for a long time, you need to sort of be okay with that. I think to a certain degree.
1: It's so true. Hey, like you have to really, make use of the word no like you have to practice saying no like it's maybe, very hard maybe, for some
0: people to say no
1: yeah exactly yeah. to feel that social pressure and and not feel as though you need to give in to to do certain things that perhaps are not ideal particularly from like let's say a condes prep standpoint um but i think ultimately your success rides on your ability to prioritize you at that that point in time and the goals that you have in place and if anything put that higher up your your hierarchy of of priorities so that um, you can sort of stand strong when you are faced with those occasions that perhaps challenge, challenge that hierarchy. Cool,
0: well, this next question says, and I think there are two different meanings to it, but benefits of working in the same rep range for each exercise during a training block. So I either interpret this as working in the same exercise or the same rep range for something like a bench press across the whole block, like six to eight, you just won't change it or whether they mean like literally the same rep range for every exercise in the, in the program, which is a bit extreme to me. What yeah, do you guys think?
2: Only the former. Mm. Cause yeah. Imagine doing that. You'd be picking <laughs> some pretty ghastly sets. Like imagine you pick, you know, 15 to 20 great for laterals, tough for mm. deadlifts. So <laughs> yeah. But to be fair, I think if we are talking about the former, I, I do that. Like I'll pick a rep range, when I write out my block at the start of the mesocycle, I'll include the rep ranges and then I'll I'll stick with that for the entire block. Because I think you can just be a little bit more honest with your progressions. Like if you're, say, doing a set of six to eight on your flat barbell bench press, like if you're starting to plateau and those sets are getting a little bit harder and then you go, oh, you know what? I'll just make that a, a set of five to seven now. You might be actually shortchanging yourself in terms of, trying to progress your training, you know, you know, in an actual progressive overload sense. So I think that keeping those the same um, whilst ensuring that your technique is still sound, that your, your actual proximity to failure is where you want it to be is probably the best way to do it. But I've certainly been a little bit different nowadays than what I used to be. Like I would always do straight sets and be like, okay, three sets of 10 to 12 for all of it. Whereas now I'm, I'm more likely to do either a top set and a back off set for like leg movements if I'm because my volume for the most part is much lower but say even for exercises where I want more volume like back I might do two loading sets where I do a rep range of eight to ten and then I'll do like a back off set as well just to kind of you know exhaust those muscle fibers in a different rep range because I don't know about you guys but you know a set of eight to ten can be very hard work like you can be using some pretty substantial loads if you're doing like a bent over barbell row or a t-bar row or something so after two sets of that like you might be a little bit systemically cooked um especially if you train the way that we got like we're all quite you know high intensity fairly close to failure trainees so actually just lowering the load for that last set i find nice just from like a mind muscle connection standpoint And just getting a little bit more in terms of reps out of the set without completely gassing yourself by using the same heavy load. Um, That's definitely something I've used a lot more this year.
1: I guess it comes down to that whole question around like, is periodization beneficial for hypertrophy training? Because it's certainly prominent in like strength sports, for example, where, you know, someone may start, they might be peaking towards a competition of improving their one RM and they'll generally across blocks, maybe have some sort of loading scheme that will... know create more specificity towards a one rm at the end so there will be like some sort of undulation of variables across multiple training blocks in readiness for a peak at the end right i guess we know as as um hypertrophy athletes that we can sort of build muscle across quite a broad spectrum of um of rep ranges and and training variables such as even tempo uh intensity intensity generally needs to be quite high but but um yes and and volume so but I, I think based on the hypertrophy literature, there is, there is proposed benefit to having some undulation of your variables amongst um, hypertrophy-specific athletes and, then, and, and programs. So like from, from the perspective of keeping the same rep range across every exercise, I don't think that's beneficial um, from the perspective of the, the impracticality of doing you know, crazy high reps for something like, let's say, a back squat, where you might be more cardiovascularly taxed as opposed to actually, you know, directing that tension towards the target tissue and being, and hitting failure due to you know muscular failure as opposed to like cardiovascular failure. Uh, and then I guess in terms of the perspective of, um, of having some undulation of your rep ranges, uh, maybe within a program block or perhaps program to program, I do think that you can somewhat like hit plateaus if you just run the same rep range for for multiple blocks, and particularly if you've got you know, goals surrounding strength, you might want to have some sort of undulation across programs where, you know, maybe one program block, you're, you're, you're doing your compound movements with, let's say 10s or 12s, and then the following program block, maybe you're doing sixes or eights or something of that manner. And I think it almost provides somewhat of a novel stimulus as well, in the sense that you've got something new to try and tackle and, and new figures to try and aim towards and strive towards within a particular program block. I do mm-hmm. think there is some benefits from maybe sticking to a set rep range, like a set, let's say a set rep rep protocol across, let's say a six week block, as opposed to maybe running two weeks of like tens, two weeks of eights, two weeks of sixes, and that might be for someone who struggles to perhaps calculate or anticipate what sort of load they should be using relative to the rep ranges that they're they're using as well. So. Let's say for example in the first two weeks of my program block i'm doing tens with my dumbbell flat bench the following two weeks my program asks for eights to me that makes sense that i need to increase my load from from going from tens to eights right because i'm re- reducing my amount of repetitions therefore i can increase my load but if someone wasn't wary of that uh, or wasn't aware of needing to make that increment if they just kept the the same weight and then drop the repetitions they may not be actually working to an ample stimulus right so I do think looking at someone who's perhaps, you know, more of a beginner in training versus perhaps someone who is, is perhaps more advanced in their training endeavors. uh, Programming styles might have to look a little bit different for, for either, either or. Mm. And there's kind of pros and cons from maintaining a rep range perhaps, or or using some sort of undulating scheme within a program block itself.
2: Mm. I would just say as well, like as a final point, because I think you've, you've covered most of it there, DC, like, fiber types as well like we sort of know there is something to be said for training in different rep ranges for different fiber types like obviously the type you know that the fast twitch um, muscle fibers are going to be more explosive training in those lower rep ranges like maybe your six to eight so your five to sevens whereas the muscle groups that are more predominantly you know slow twitch fibers those ones are going to require you know some longer sets So maybe they're talking more the 15 to 20 or 20 plus in order to maximally stimulate those. And obviously it's very difficult to say for certain, you know, which of us have certain fiber types in which muscle groups, but I think that you can cover your bases just by having a variety of rep ranges across the week.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Fiber type training is is quite interesting, hey, because, Hmm. you know, if we look at something like Henneman's size principle, it basically predicts that, we get like, if let's say I'm eliciting a force against a load for a set amount of repetitions, maybe through the initial aspects of that particular rep range, I'm using my low threshold motor units. And then as I approach higher levels of fatigue, perhaps irrespective of the rep range I, I choose, I will eventually move up that that hierarchy towards using more high threshold motor units, which probably have the most anabolic response to or potentiation to, to grow um, in terms of a hypertrophy response. So like there is some literature that that shows um, hypertrophy specific to muscle fiber types, depending on training style. But um, I, I, I think it would be hard to really practically apply that outside of just the parameters of, you know, have varying rep schemes, train close proximity to failure. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not really out I mean- there testing my muscle fiber to know exactly, you know, what fiber types it's made up of. We can somewhat, you know, get predictions of what it may be based on, you know, perhaps what the average is across multiple sets of, um, of individuals, but it's specificity towards me is somewhat challenging to understand, you know, what fiber type I exactly am on certain muscles versus not.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess, hence the recommendation to have varying rep ranges, like it's a fairly easy one to tick off
1: Mm,
2: assuming you're not doing like six to eight for everything. Mm. And yeah you go ahead oh i was just gonna say yeah like i mean short of us all going and getting muscle biopsies on every major muscle group that we want to train to to discover what fiber types they are like obviously none of us are going to do that whereas you know there's probably no need to as long as you're doing some sort of, of variation across the week for all your different muscle groups and and yes there's going to be muscle groups that are harder to do that on others like the you know the window that you choose for something like calves or arms or medial you know middle delts like they're going to be probably a lot smaller because as for the most part those muscle groups tend to generally be trained in higher rep ranges anyway like you're probably not going to do a set of six for your biceps but you know the the principle remains just trying to you know at least have some variety across the week at least then you cover your bases
0: Mm. yeah a bit of a side tangent and obviously we spoke recently about the iliac lap pull down and there seems to be a lot of, or just a hot topic in general about like keeping the elbows quite close to your body while pressing and doing like, there's this new like wrap around lap pull down where you turn sideways and then wrap your elbow around your body and then pull down. Like, have you guys seen much of that? Mm.
2: Birdo likes that one. I think Verdo mm. does the kind of like push around, chest press as well with like the the Caz Prime handles. But yeah, I think I I have seen it, yeah.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, well, I've seen I've seen some of that stuff as well. And I think yeah. it's um somewhat of a you know, an emerging topic within within the exercise science industry in terms of you know, popularizing biomechanics and um using biomechanics obviously to our advantage in training which we, which we do regardless, but I think some of that stuff is somewhat of a, a little bit of a selling point, don't you think? Like um mm it sort of shows showcases a, a unique style to training that perhaps people haven't utilized outside of, you know, a standard dumbbell press, a bench press for training chest. And all of a sudden you you see this kind of wraparound exercise and it's like, fuck, I haven't been, I haven't been including this in my program. Like what gains have I left out on the table? No wonder on my back is small. Yeah, exactly. It's got nothing to do with, you know, pounding 10 beers on the weekend. It's, it's obviously I'm not including the, uh, the wraparound press, you know, where I'm hugging myself, et cetera. Um, Yes, I mean, I do like that. I'm I'm taking it down a way that sounds horrible, but but I do think that um, like there's 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 definitely benefits of being more aware of your biomechanics to train muscles um, and and load the target tissue to a better extent and get more out of your training. But I do think some of that becomes somewhat of a um, like a novel stimulus, and it's hard to say whether the inclusion of of some of this additional stuff provides substantial benefit. Don't you think? Mm. Mm.
2: Yeah, I agree yeah and and the thing with that uh, that i agree with dc is like you know you have that a lot of great theory in there it's like okay from a biomechanics and an anatomy standpoint this should better shorten or better lengthen muscle x and that all sounds great but we don't actually know if that means we're going to get better hypertrophy outcomes and i think that's where it just has to come back to an individual basis of try that variation Hey, does that variation feel good in terms of comfort, not causing you any pain? Are you getting good muscle disruption? You know, getting some good DOMs the day after, which we know is not everything, but it does, I think, contribute somewhat to whether an exercise is doing its job. You know, do you have some disruption? Then, okay, that could be, you know, a viable option for you as another variation in your toolbox. But one thing I just love to like to caution people on when we see these sexy exercises that have been made very popular by, you know, people like coach Cass, who by the way are, are brilliant minds. And I think they do great stuff in the industry. We, you don't, you don't want to miss the forest for the trees because you don't want to be a young trainee, like 16 year old kid sitting there, just analyzing your lap pull down to make sure you get it this exact right way. And then, you know, you just piss away eight weeks, not even training hard because you're just so focused on every millimeter of movement and you're not actually trying hard enough because i think we can all agree that there are people who train pretty poorly but they put in a lot of effort and they can still make pretty tremendous results especially early on so i think like anything if the pendulum swings too far either way there's a problem like there is a middle ground and i think that effort still needs to be central to everything that you do and if you overanalyze these things i tend to find people get into that state of you know paralysis by analysis where they're thinking a lot about a lot but doing very little
0: Mm. yeah Yeah, well said i personally included the the wraparound uh lower lap biased row which as you said like it it genuinely feels as if that target area is being like a heavy stimulus on that area which is nice but it's just interesting. Okay, does that actually, is that actually going to translate to as much muscle growth compared to something like a, a barbell row, where obviously the barbell row there's a lot more tension on the overall back but it's not isolating the specific lower lat as much. So these are questions yeah. which we we don't have the answers to right now.
2: Yeah, and it's it's the exact same thing with like the prime equipment. And it's like would I love to train with prime equipment every day? yes I would because it all looks great but I think when you have people who are harping on about you know training the muscle and shortening the lengthened and you know loading the pins in a certain way so it drops off in this range and it's heavier in this range like you know that's all great once again from a biomechanical standpoint but like Eric Helms said it on a recent podcast like these machines are designed in that way and that's awesome but we also don't really know whether or not that's any better or worse for hypertrophy than just training through one resistance profile through the entire um, length of the muscle. So it's like, just, just make sure this sexy stuff is great, but just make sure that you come back to the foundations. And it sounds really boring because everything that we say regarding training and nutrition always comes back to that of just saying, Hey, the basics are the most important thing, but it's because it's true. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, all this stuff mm. is really good, but if the rest of it's not in place, it's, it's going to mean nothing. Mm. Sure. And I
1: think, yeah, none of it means a whole lot if you just don't train in hard enough to, to begin with, right? Mm. Uh, if you just, well, I think train- that's a good
0: segue onto this next question. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, out of all four of you, we'll include DY in this. Who would you be most intimidated to train legs with? Which I mean, that could be intensity aside. Like some of you might be scared to train with someone else regardless of intensity
2: well i've only not trained with dc i've trained legs with both of the other gentlemen so i don't know if i'd be
1: oh is it the fear of the unknown is that
2: yes so i would have to say dc because i just don't know what i'd be getting myself into and i do know he's a very strong human being so he'd be my pick
1: okay cool
2: um Um,
1: who, who would i be most fearful of um
2: or
0: intimidated
1: is the key Intim- word. Intimidated from, I feel like I'd be more excited to train with you boys than intimidated. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if intimidated. Uh, is I'm the not really word. intimidated. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's say, let's say you, Lawrence, because I reckon you'd, you'd you'd probably get me on the hack squat.
2: <laughs> oh, that's high praise. That's high praise, mate. But it, it means very little if my if my legs aren't big enough. So that would be my my north star in prep. Regardless, mm. just need to get the legs bigger.
1: Mm. But have you have you guys trained together?
2: No, mm-hmm. I haven't. No. Adjacent, I've, haven't I've you?
1: Spotted. I've spotted yeah. uh, for <laughs> incline bench press. But that's that's about it. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to pick Lawrence just because we've got unfinished business. <laughs> and- <laughs>
1: You know what
2: Jack's gonna do now?
1: <laughs> That's why I just primed the conversation. I just put, threw the, the hack squad out there. And Jack yeah. just like got all like edgy in his seat, just like cropped up yeah. at the edge of his seat. He's like, well, all right, <laughs> he, it's my turn.
2: This is what's <laughs> gonna happen. We're gonna be, you know, mid-October. I've already done a couple of shows, two weeks out from the next set of shows. I'm depleted. And Jack's gonna be like, hey man, hit legs again at Brisbane on the pre-core hack. <laughs> and he's gonna put on, you know, seven plates more than I do. Cause by then he's going to be a hundred kilos lean. And then I'm just going to be cactus. Mm. <laughs> it's the master plan. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Your shoulders going to be hurting. you just from like the pads digging into your, your yeah. traps, <laughs> the bone on pads, like the, your, yeah, your, your calcaneous bone, just like pushing against the, uh, the platform. You're like, this hurts, man. Yeah. Please Jack. <laughs> no.
2: Yeah. I must say though, if I had to think outside of, you know, the BDU crew, like, I think training with BK, I'd need a bit of a, give myself a bit of a talking to before hitting legs with that man. Cause he like just watching his face on some of his sets, like how how hard he trains. Like, I think that would be very cool.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I uh, trained with BK, t- trained with Brandon just before he went on his trip to, to Bali and um, we used his pendulum squats, uh, pendulum squat machine. And I definitely took uh, a few of those sets to just complete failure where uh i could not push past that concentric phase and basically bombed out at the bottom because i'm mm. like i'm taking this i'm just running it straight <laughs> so that was a lot of fun my quads were definitely sore for the for the day's proceedings but um no i get excited when i get to train with b man he's got a good little setup in his gym
0: mm.
1: and uh, every time we record some content go into a session together so it's um it's always a good time
2: what pendulum does he have
1: I asked him the exact question. I don't, I don't believe it's actually branded. I'm not oh, entirely okay. sure what, what brand it is. I think it mm. might be a, maybe one from China or something like that. I'm not entirely sure. I think that's yeah. what he told me when I asked him what it was. He wasn't sure. Yeah,
2: because I'm still just don't know if I can run that pendulum at Southside consistently just because of how, how brutal it is. But I think I might have to throw it in the next block. You could try and th- reverse band it. Yeah, that's that's the other thing, hey. Because I've been doing that with the V squat, the Atlantis one. Like it's just, it's very light at the top, and I'm just, it just feels weird. You know, you get past the hole and you just like shoot up. Mm. So it's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ban this so mm. that I can, you know, make it a bit harder at the top, and I don't have to put as many plates because then the, whole the counterweight,
1: sucks. the counterweight is quite strong, right? So I remember using it mm. at Calandra and yeah you fly up like you mm. fly out of the hole whereas yeah the one at the one at um at brendale is is definitely not like that it's yeah. um, felt a hell of a lot heavier than than the one and i think bees bees probably felt most most similar to like the watson watson i just found was was very heavy and yeah, uh, bees, yeah. bee's pendulum felt really heavy as well so it doesn't have
0: a counterweight. b's one does it
1: uh i don't actually remember I think it does, but it's not It's not very big.
2: Mm. Yeah, I don't think the Watson has a, a counterweight, which is why when you get to the bottom, it's like even yeah, like God. you could have a, a plate each side and it's so heavy. Mm. So, yeah. But the one at Mount Cravat looks nice. Yeah, that's the same one as
0: at Brendale. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I kind of... That's the only thing I miss uh, training legs at Brendale is that Watson, but... I get to use the Cybex Smooth at the moment for legs, which is good. I think
1: it's Arsenal. It's either Arsenal or it's
0: no, it's Jim Eighty at Brendale.
1: Is it Jim Eighty? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think they've got Arsenal stuff and also Craft, Pure Craft, something like that. Mm. Um, okay, Jim Eighty, yeah, sure.
2: Yeah, do they have a Cybex hack at? Yes, they do R- at Riggs. Do. No,
0: no, they not at Riggs. Riggs. Sorry, at Brendale they do.
2: Have you ever but- run that? No, I have- haven't. <laughs> I hey, might you gotta get on eventually. it eventually. Yeah, it- it's just the yeah it's it's great i'm on that at the moment and i've it's really interesting because at at club lime i would i would always feel the need to reverse band it because i was like oh my knees get so sore and then i didn't do it for ages and i've gotten back to the cybex hack and i just thought you know what like let's just see how it goes like if my knees can handle it they can handle it and yeah no no reverse band no dramas um because i think that Mike Isretel, like he debated Kassim with this and he makes a good point about the reverse banding where it's like, you know, if you are missing out on that deep stretch position, like you are potentially shortchanging the more hypertrophic part of the rep range. And I think unless it is for managing an injury, then it probably is better just to, you know, experience the the full the full stretch at the bottom. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, they throw the bands on there just so they can put a few more plates on because good griefs the way that some people wrap it up like those bands get absolutely destroyed it's terrible yeah i think
0: maybe some people get to a strength level where it might become more necessary on their knees but i guess you would be more of the expert in that realm
2: well yeah i mean and that's the thing like it's all relative strength isn't it because someone Mm. who can do three and a half plates for eight if they work up in a gradual manner they can probably also do four plates for 8 and then maybe one day do four and a half and then five because you know their tissues have adapted as long as they're recovering properly over that time so yeah i think for the rep ranges that we work in as bodybuilders i, I wouldn't see that say that's as much of a of a consideration but obviously everyone's going to be different and you know there's probably more nuance in that question for another
1: day mm-hmm. but i mean it might be beneficial like the reverse band if someone doesn't really, uh, they're not really comfortable in very, very deep uh, hip flexion against, you know, with load. And maybe they've got femoral acetabular impingement of some sort or just, you know, some sort of injury around that area. Like maybe that, that might provide some, some benefit to still being able to load the movement with less mm. discomfort in the bottom range. That's why I know some people opt for more of like the, the pivot leg press as opposed to doing like the 45 degree leg press. It might just feel a little bit more comfortable on their hips in comparison. Mm. Um, oh, have you
2: used the Cybex that's pivot squat press?
1: Uh,
2: Do they have one of those which,
1: that... I don't know what the brand is at Brendale. Do you know, Jack?
2: I think it might again
0: be Eighty. The Jim one Ed. where you can make it unilateral if you yeah, want. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Actually, I'm pretty sure Northlakes has a Cybex pivot, mm. pivot squat press. That's it's a, a phenomenal piece. piece, man. Oh, it is awesome. Beautiful, so it good. It's probably the nicest squat press I've ever used.
2: Yeah. Like, the Atlantis one is really good, but just it's really heavy at the top. So when you unrack, you're like, this is going to kill me. And then as you get into it, you're like, okay, it's not as bad, but it is just very, it's very heavy at that top. Like when you're close to that terminal knee extension, which, you know, can feel a little bit apprehensive at times, but yeah, the Cybex one is is just perfect. It feels mm, so good. I think
1: that's almost quite similar to the Panada one that I used at the, the Stafford World Gym. We've got a squat press there or a pivot leg press and i remember unracking it being like whoa what have i got on this yeah. and then i went through the range and i'm oh this is fine."
2: <laughs> yeah haven't had the pleasure to use any of the panada leg kit it was all out of order when i was at stafford so i'm yet to get on that stuff i haven't used any either well i think we've got time for one more question
0: and this one says thoughts on federations awarding pro cards for small division numbers so if there's only two people and they award the winner with a pro card what are your thoughts on this dc
1: Mm, i know that some some federations like do go off numbers so i'm pretty sure for example like the wnbf over in the states i'm pretty sure they only they have like a a rule in place where you know shows that would typically award pro cards if there's not enough competitors then pro card a pro card wouldn't wouldn't be awarded and i do think that that somewhat helps to preserve uh, like the pro status is being awarded based on there being a, a high level of competitiveness in that particular lineup. So, you know, I'm of, of two camps. I think, I think it's, it's beneficial in the sense that it helps to preserve, you know, who turns pro and the caliber of athlete that, that presents. Um, but then there's that whole premise of, you know, what if someone competes in a, in a smaller show and has, you know, what we've coined in the past, like quote unquote, a very pro worthy physique, but um they don't. They don't have the ability to to win a pro card because it's just not, you know, showcased at that particular. Um, it's not presented at that particular competition, which would be a shame for that athlete, who you know clearly has the caliber of physique to to showcase on a pro stage. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one, right? I'm I'm indecisive as to what what I think would be the ideal, the ideal scenario here.
0: Yeah, I think i think a good combination potentially is even if there are smaller numbers the federation or the judges can still decide okay is that individual pro worthy and i know that inba does that lawrence at least in australia they do
2: yes yes they do the um man that was a <laughs> a mess around Cause, well yeah because even that's so confusing man because mm. i got a message from those guys being like oh yeah like because I went down to some sort of posing workshop and they're like yep fellow INBA pros Brandon Kempter like Jono was down there um Jono Phil that is and like Lawrence Scriever I was like messaging him I was like oh like just so you know like I'm not a not a pro and mm-hmm. then like I was like oh no like yeah you are like we gave you a card on the day I was like well, no you didn't well, <laughs> like I don't know man it doesn't make any sense to me but like I said, I haven't I don't, heard that story before. Yeah. I don't know. But look, it's one of those things where I think either way, like I don't think I would have taken the card because I, you know, didn't really feel like it would have changed anything for me at that point. Mm. Um, but I think I completely agree with you both in that it, it would be a shame for people who are, there we go. There's the coin, the buzz term pro worthy to miss out on those cards, especially for divisions that just historically don't get big numbers. So You know, if you had a a federation with figure, for example, like, yes, it's getting more popular now, but there was a phase where, you know, there wouldn't be a lot of figure competitors. And if you had an amazing lady show up and there was only a few people in the class and they couldn't get their card, like that would be pretty disappointing. But I think you see it go the other way as well. Like you might have big lineups and for whatever reason, there may have just not really been a huge um stand out in terms of quality that year and i also think it should be up to the federations to withhold a pro card completely if they don't feel like there's anyone in that division that is good enough to be a pro um i don't necessarily think you need to be like pro standard in the sense of could this person walk onto a pro lineup and place or win because i think that also kind of defeats the you know, the, the aura or the, you know, the idea of being a pro that you need to be like a a class above. And that's also why I prefer shows that don't allow people to compete as a pro straight away. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but I think that it should be able to go both ways for feds. You know, if there's small lineups where people are pro worthy, should be able to give them the card and vice versa. If there's big lineups, but the, the overall standard is low, then I don't see why you should have to give out a pro card based on just obligation. Yeah, or even the
0: other scenario as well, or if there's a small amount of people and someone wins, they don't have to give that person
2: the pro card either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think just the word that, you know, DC used of like preserving pro status, I think that's the most important thing because I think there was Mm. a phase where, you know, pro cards getting handed out. And I understand you almost need to do that to a certain extent as a federation because you need to build a base of pros. But once you are at the stage where, you know, you have a good base of, of pro competitors and you can put on decent pro shows and that sort of thing. I think that's where moving to the model that ICN have now, where it's only open class winners at nationals. Like, I, I think that's perfect because then you can be very confident that everyone who's walking away with an ICN pro card is a very, very good competitor because they, you don't, you know, win an open class at nationals by accident. So I think the, the system in place now is really good. Um, and I think most federations should, you know, be flexible where you where you can. Mm.
0: Yeah. And I think it is quite rare though these days for someone to win a lineup, even if it is a smaller lineup and not be pro-worthy, especially if it's at nationals. Like there aren't I guess some federations like WMBF will be giving out some pro cards in their first season, but that's technically a national show, I guess. Like it's not a state show. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they have a good turnout. And I, I don't think they'll be giving pro cards to people who don't warrant them either. They, they don't strike me as, that, I'd as agree. that sort of federation. Cool. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in for our final episode of 2022. And we can't wait to see everyone listening in in 2023. If you did enjoy this one though, please remember to give us a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we'll catch you guys next week
1: in the first episode of 2023.